Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Back when we lived in Connecticut, we had about 10 acres. And of those 10 acres, probably only one and a half were pasture. And that was pretty easy to manage. You let the cows out on it, and in about a day it was munched up, and we brought them back, and the rest of the time we fed them good quality hay. Moving to Pennsylvania, one of the things that we were looking forward to the most was having plenty of pasture for all the animals that we have here at our homestead. And so I dove right in this summer. We got up in that field. We had the cows up there. We had the goats up there. I had my electric strings and twines and nets, stakes, posts, just about everything you could imagine uh, that you might need. And we went up into that field and we made big rectangles and we made circles and we made L's. And we spent hours and hours trying to figure out how to do this the right way. We're still working on it. And that's why I'm looking forward to tonight's guest so much. You see, back this summer, when I was trying to figure out what to do up in the field, I, of course, went to YouTube to find some answers, find somebody who could help me figure out how to get water up there, how to use the stakes the correct way. And one person's videos came constantly in my search. Good day, folks. This is Greg Judy, Green Pastures Farm. Good morning, folks. This is Greg Judy at Green Pastures Farm. Uh, we just moved the cows. This is Greg Judy at Green Pastures Farm. Today we're building some perimeter fence. Good day, folks. Uh, Greg Judy at Green Pastures Farm. Uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about our fiberglass corner post. Um, this is a two and a half inch, what we call, foam field. It's a beautiful May day. I think it's about the middle of the month. And uh, again, we've got our sheep on some civil pasture here. 
there was Greg's videos. And I felt like Greg mentored me through the summer, showing how to set up waterers, which kind of stepping posts are better than the other kind, what's the right way to use a three-to-one geared reel. If any of these topics, any of these interest you, you're going to enjoy tonight's interview. Good morning, folks. This is Greg Judy at Green Pastures Farm. Greg and his wife, Jan, of Clark, Missouri, run a grazing operation on 1,600-plus acres of leased and owned land. Greg and Jan were near bankruptcy back in 1999, and then they went to paying off a 200-acre farm and house in three years with custom grazing on leased land. Now they run this large grazing operation. They're completely debt-free. They own four farms and they lease 12 more farms. They do this grazing cattle, hair sheep, wood pigs, pastured laying hens. They do some sawmilling and they also grow some shiitake mushrooms. I know a lot of you in the audience would like to do at least one of those things A lot of you hope to someday be able to do a couple, if not all of those. So I know you're going to enjoy our discussion tonight with Greg Judy. Let's welcome Greg to the show. Yes, thank you, Austin. So Greg, why don't you tell us before we dive in, for those in the audience who don't know your backstory, how did you and Jan get into farming? I I was born and raised in Minnesota on a dairy farm. Uh, We moved out of Minnesota when I was seven years old, but I've always lived on a farm. The, the method that my dad used, of course, we just had, you know, a few dairy cows at the end. When we did the dairy in Minnesota, we put up a lot of silage. You had to, because in the wintertime up there, you got four foot of snow. And so the cows were kept in the barn in the wintertime. If you turn the cows out in the winter up there, we were in northern Minnesota. <laughs> the cow's feet would freeze off. Oh, I mean, wow. it literally would. They were that, that probably 40 below zero. Um so we moved to Missouri, and we have a lot milder weather down here, and we do outwinter our cattle. But Austin, I didn't, I didn't know anything about grazing. You know, my dad was a crop farmer. He he liked to till the land, and we had a milk cow. I milked it the whole time I was at home, but we just never learned to graze at all. It was just grass. You didn't manage it. You just gave the cows, gave them what they wanted, and when you ran out, you fed hay. That's what you did. Well, I started uh, years ago, um, about 1989, I bought my first farm, the bank did. (laughs) And I went and got a loan, you know, bought the animals and the equipment. And basically I tried to do what all the professionals told me to do. And after one year of doing that, I had a great time out on the land with the animals and you know, but there just wasn't any money. There just wasn't any money in commodity agriculture. And so I, I realized pretty quick that I had to do something different. Well, then I really got in a, a terrible time in my life. I had a, a divorce, uh, the big D hit me and um, <laughs> I was wrapped in a, in a divorce for six years. And during that time, I pretty much figured the farm was history. I was gonna lose my farm. And I had a job in town, pretty darn good job, but it just wasn't enough to make all the bills. And so I was very fortunate. I, I read an article and um, this article said, your sole purpose in life should not be to own the land, but to control the land. And it really lit a light bulb in me because what this guy was talking about was leasing. 
go out and get your arms around as much of it as you can, learn how to graze. Well, I already kind of knew I'd, I'd been doing some management intensity grazing, which is rotational grazing. So I kind of knew a little bit about that. But, you know, once I started ramping up our operation with other people's land, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money to buy livestock. And so we actually started grazing other people's livestock on other people's land. And that was the basis of our foundation. And I wrote my first book in 2002 called No Risk Ranching. And I detailed in that book that, hey, folks, you don't have to be a millionaire to get started in agriculture today. Go out, get your arms on some leased land, graze other people's cattle on it, save your nest egg up, and then do your own thing. And that's what we did. You purchased your first farm, you said, in 1989? Yeah. And I actually bought, yeah, that's when I got the biggest farm, yep. Okay, so not your first farm, your big farm. Yeah. And then in your biography here, we see that by uh, 1999, so about 10 years from buying the big farm, uh, 10 years in, you were close to bankruptcy. What about that style yes. of farming brought you to that brink? I was focused on, oh, that's a great question, Austin. <laughs> I was focused on raising bigger calves. Big cows give you big calves. And if you want the big money, you gotta have a big calf, right? Wrong, exactly wrong. It takes a lot more feed and forage and hay to keep a big cow going through the winter time. And so once I got focused on these 900 to 1,000 pound cows, my gosh, I can run almost you know, 50% more cows, well, you got 50% more calves to run or to, to sell. And the, these smaller cows don't tear up our farms in the wintertime. Austin, we just got through the terrible rain event this last week. Uh, I mean, it rained and it rained. It's still wet out there. Guess what? Our cows are still grazing. Arkansas come up and he's like Greg he said I can't believe you're down in this bottom I was in a bottom of 300 head of cattle like a bunch of deer out there they don't <laughs> tear up their farm. I'm serious That's they, they just don't leave pub yeah so yeah that I was focused on big big animals and I was taught in the wintertime you've got to feed an animal grain if you don't they're going to starve to death and we were also taught that if you didn't get your grass grazed off by the first of December that grass, your animals would starve to death on that grass in the winter. It wasn't any good. You gotta feed hay. That's completely wrong. Austin, I remember the first year of the banker, I went in to make my payment at the end of the year. And he looked me right in the eye and said, Greg, we had a pretty good year. And I'm like, well, you might've had a pretty good year, but I sure didn't. I didn't have any money left. He took all my money. So there were so many falsehoods being taught and still are being taught. These poor young folks getting started today that are going down that route, it's just like, oh my gosh. That's what, but that's why I'm excited about regenerative agriculture and, and getting young people on track and, and keeping the money at home on the farm where it belongs instead of st sending all your money to town like what I was doing. You mentioned regenerative agriculture. For those of our audience who are not familiar with what regenerative agriculture is, Tell us a little bit about that, Greg. You know, for years and years, Austin, all we hear is about, well, 
I'm sustainable. I, I'm running a sustainable grazing operation and I'm guilty. I was, I was in that verb too. I used it all the time. I'm sustainable. Well, we take on bankrupt soil farms. That's what we do. We get farms that nobody else wants. That's how we get all these farms leased. Well, if I'm sustainable, what that means is I'm sustaining a degraded resource. I'm yeah, keeping so it poor my whole life. Regenerative is your growing soil with animals, the microbes. We need to learn to feed the animals under the soil as well as the ones above the soil. And, and embracing nature is all like a huge spider web of life. And the more we stay aware of trying to build, build and build and build, build compost, uh, this litter bank that our animals are trampling, that bottom down that I was telling you about, there's 300 head on there, they've been on there three days in the rainstorm. You ought to see it. I mean, it's just, I have incorporated thousands and thousands of pounds of organic matter and the earthworms are now chewing it up. They're chewing it up. They're eating it right now in December. You can go down there and pull the grass back and there's worms eating it. That's exciting to me. That's regenerative. I'm building soil with animals. So that word regenerative, uh, the idea behind that versus sustainable. Sustainable is something that it could keep going. Um, regenerative, what's the main difference between this approach? The, the main difference with this approach is we're not looking at spending money to fix something. <laughs> we're using animals. Folks, I'm going to tell you, Austin, straight up, there are a million people out there waiting to, to, to extend you their product to help you out of your situation. And every time you open up your pocketbook and give them that money, it usually makes the situation worse. I mean, your bill folds wider, and you, that problem's still there. And with planning, it's all about plan. You got to have a plan. And we do a, a practice here. We've turned it mob grazing, plan grazing. Some people call it holistic grazing, but we don't use a calendar. We don't go from day to day. We have a plan. We have a, we have a grazing chart. And so everything is planned ahead of time. And the way this grazing works is you have got to remain very flexible. And that's one of the things that we teach at our grazing school that we hold we hold every year here at GD Farm in May. So for those of you who haven't been following Greg like I have all summer long, he's got an incredible YouTube channel. Uh, after you're done watching this video, go ahead and check out the YouTube channel and just dive into these topics. You'll be able to see a lot of things that Greg talks about tonight. Uh, they also have a, a grazing school, and we'll share some links below for all the things, all the ways that you can find out more about Greg and what he's doing. For those who are like in my position right now, Greg, we are at a new farm. We have a decade's worth of homesteading, beginner homesteader experience, which is just enough to have made almost all the mistakes a beginning homesteader could make. And here we find ourselves at a larger farm. We actually have some acreage and we have some animals that we'd like to set loose on. Where does a beginning homesteader or intermediate homesteader who's in a new place like myself uh, how do they start to look at their property and the animals that they either have or are going to bring on and just start developing this plan that you're talking about, Greg? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, the, the very first thing that I look at when I go onto a farm, and you know we're always on the lookout for a new farm, if it touches our farms. So we can just incorporate it into this family of our other farms. But the number one thing I look at is fence. Austin, you've got to keep your animals on your farm. And so to me, number one is a good perimeter fence that keeps them on your farm. And whether that's a you know five-strand high tensile electric fence, uh, that's what I prefer. It's a lot more economical than building barbed wire or woven wire fence. So that's number one. I've got to get a good perimeter fence. Uh, perimeter fence, I think, is the holy grail of the homesteader. <laughs> if you can find a place that already has it, oh, man, and it was already in good shape, you you would have found, you know, the holy grail. Uh, if you don't, you mentioned a five-strand high tensile. For uh, somebody who doesn't have any idea why that's better, what that's like, could you give us a little information, maybe a little idea into the cost versus other types of fencing? Tell us a bit about high tensile perimeter fencing. Yeah, high tensile perimeter fence is going to be about one third the cost of conventional five strand barbed wire fence, which I hate. I hate that fence. And that's because you can't move it. It's extremely expensive to put up. It doesn't give me any power over my farm. And that's because there's no electricity source around the perimeter of my farm. I've got this stupid barbed wire out there. How am I going to power up a fence on that? You can't. If you've got a, a five-strand electric fence around the perimeter of your farm, oh, my gosh. You talk about flexibility. You can reach out there anywhere on your perimeter and run a wire off of that with a temporary paddock division, and you can hold your animals there, whether it's a sheep, a cow, a pig, or a goat. But if you don't have power around the exterior of your farm, you've got to figure out how to get that power out there. Maybe it's a solar charger that you move it around all the time. Well, that's fine, but boy, when you got permanent power, oh, you got a leg up right at the start. Austin, it needs to be efficient. If it takes you a lot of time to put up a paddock each day and take it down, you're gonna get burned out and you're gonna get very, very depressed. Like, man, this just isn't working very good. Our time is worth something. You need to have time with your family and your children and your other love interests. You shouldn't be out there all day long fighting this fence. We spend 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night. That's it. And we're moving 300 ahead. It's, it doesn't take any time to do it. It really doesn't. Not when you get it set up correctly. I feel I feel like Greg might have been watching me this summer when he talked about spending too much time and being frustrated. <laughs> there were some days, Greg, where we were out there trying to figure out, all right, we're going to do... We're going to make this big L and, and this thing's going to move. And then we're going to reel this back. And we don't have a perimeter electric fence. We don't have a perimeter high tensile. Uh, we don't have any perimeter at all. Uh, so we were just every day trying to figure out what shape could we make. We were working a hillside and slots. And I can totally agree with what you just said there. I, there were days where every morning move took us about an hour every morning for the sheep and the, uh, for the goats and the cows. So that's a long time in the morning, every morning. And again, I'm not, if you go out for a half hour and this is your entire business, for me, this is not my entire business. I don't make any money grazing my livestock. Uh, it, 
that side of this homestead is like a hobby side. And for most of those who are watching here, they either have a little tiny side business doing this or they're just feeding their family. And what Greg said, if you're spending an hour or more a day like we were, it's frustrating. So having that high oh. tensile perimeter, uh, it's going to be uh, upfront expense that you're going to have to pay. But like Greg said, it's a third of the cost. Is that right, Greg? So yes. that, that's such a here, here, here's a tip. Here's a tip. Don't use steel. If you're putting, if you're just starting out and you're thinking about doing electric fence on your plan, which I highly suggest, folks, you can't manage your animals without electric fence. We have technology. The electric fence on our farms today is the predator. It's exactly like the grizzly bears and the wolves that were following the buffalo and, and, the, and the deer across the prairie for thousands of years. Our predator today is electric fence. That's what keeps our animals bunched together where we want them. Austin, you've got to keep your animals on your farm. And so to me, number one is a good perimeter fence that keeps them on your farm. And whether that's a you know five-strand high-tensile electric fence, uh, that's what I prefer. It's a lot more economical than building barbed wire or woven wire fence. That's number one. I've got to get a good perimeter fence. Number two, I've got to have water. Now, if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of money uh, and you're willing to work, you can you can carry water to those animals until you figure out something better. And that might be down the road. You might be able to build a pond or put a solar pump on a stream, pump it up into a tank, and then from that tank, feed your farm from that tank. There's some really good solar pumps out here today that run on solar power. We like to build ponds, and that's because we can catch rainwater here in Missouri. We have a lot of clay. We catch that water. It's ours for our entire life. If, if you could get one pond up there on top that was 15 foot deep, that one pond correctly positioned, make sure when you build it, put at least a two inch PVC schedule 40 pipe in the very bottom of the dam. And I've got that uh, drawing in my first book, Comeback Forms, how I do that. But you, know, you put a valve on the back of the dam, a shutoff valve, and then from that pond, you can use gravity because you're up on the hill. You can run tanks of full length of your farm off that one pond. And if you own that land, it's worth it to you to put that pipe in the ground. Go rent a trencher for a day and just put it in. Because now you've got winter water. It's underneath ground it's not gonna freeze. And you can move your animals around your farm in the wintertime because you've got water. So water's number two. And then number three, if I'm just starting out, don't go in there and build a lot of interior fence. I see that mistake from a lot of young people. They go in and they build all this interior fence all through the middle of their farm. That's one of the worst mistakes you can make. And that's because now you've got your, car your farm carved up in these permanent paddocks. You've got poly braid today in these step-in posts that I'm always talking about on my YouTube channel. Get you some posts, get you some, some geared reels, and get out there and learn how your animals will graze your farm. You may find out you don't want any interior fence because here's the deal. When you put in an interior fence, it limits how you move the animals, especially in the springtime. So in the springtime, your grass is growing fast. You need to be able to move your animals fast. If you've got 25 permanent paddocks, 
in your farm in the spring, it's gonna kill you. It's absolutely gonna kill you. And in the summertime, uh, when the grass is growing slow and you need to tighten your moves down tighter, you don't want all that fence in the middle of your farm. So that, that's a big mistake, I think, is putting in too much perimeter fence, I'm sorry, too much interior fence at the very beginning. How do we move the cows through this giant area if we don't have any interior fencing? So let's just make, let's keep this real simple, Austin. Let's assume we have a square farm. Okay, it's a square block, and it's in your case, it's a hundred acres. So what the first thing that I would do in there is I would split that thing in two with one wire. Come right down the middle of it, put you in one high tensile wire. It's hot, so you've got a feeder source. Now going through the center of your farm. Now we have flexibility. So we can hook onto that center fence and we can we basically are just doing a, fit, uh, a circle around your farm. We're starting on one side, we'll go down this side. We get to the end, we've got a gate. We come through that gate and then we come back to the other side of your farm. And we already put the water in. We've got one water line going right down the middle of your farm with those quick couplers underneath that wire. And you don't have to bury that wire underneath gates. I'm sorry, the the uh, the pipe. What I do with my gates because I I know cows are going to be stepping on it. Your poly, your uh, water line, I put it inside a steel pipe. So if my gate is 12 feet wide at the end, or wherever I need a gate in that single wire, run your pipe, your water pipe inside of a steel pipe. Because if you don't. You drive over that with vehicles or the cows constantly going through it, they're going to smash that water line. Put it inside of a steel pipe. And that steel pipe, in a couple of years, you won't be able to see it. It's going to be down on the ground. Awesome, awesome information, Greg. We have our fences, we have our waterers. A couple other pieces of equipment uh, to consider. Do we need to think about shade for the animals uh, as far as? Any other feed for the animals or minerals? Are there any other pieces of equipment someone pasturing some animals is going to need to think about before they get into it? Just a way to catch the animals. You know, you got to have a way to catch them. Um, if, if you're going to sell something, you need one to go to the butcher, or you've sold, uh, say, a bull or some calves, you've got to have a way to catch them. Um, but Austin... With us moving our cows twice a day, I just put out a video about, I don't know, five days ago maybe, of, uh, I have to look, maybe I haven't posted that yet. Anyway, we have uh, a couple of cattle panels. Our animals are broke so well that we can tie, we can tie this poly wire, poly braid, to that cattle pen and walk our cows from the pasture right into that little pen. You don't need to go out and spend thousands and thousands of dollars to build a big, heavy corral. Because your animals get very gentle. And that's because they're, they like you. You know why they like you, Austin? It's because you're giving them a fresh candy bar every morning. Every morning. Hey folks, this is Greg Judy at Green Pastures Farm. The beautiful July day, getting toward the end of July. We just moved to cattle into here, Casey and I did. We had them on a neighboring farm and it's about 8.30 in the morning. They're really going to town. 
So if you look at the cattle, they're not limited. If you look for the death triangle on the hip bone, all the cows are full. So they're just filling up more, okay? That's how you get fat cattle. They come in the paddock, they're full, and then they actually start eating again. They know that I'm not gonna hurt them. My animals love me to death. They do, they accept, they accept me as part of the mob. And so the more time you spend with the animals, the more gentle they are, the easier they are to handle. You don't need a big, heavy duty steel corral. You don't need dogs biting at your cattle. You don't need to get on a horse. Go out there, be quiet, keep your hands in your pocket, no metal banging noises, and walk your cows anymore. I noticed uh, I, when we first got the cows, I didn't work with them much. They were my wife's cows, and she did all the work with them. It wasn't until this year that they actually became friendly with me. And it was because, although I was fumbling and bumbling around trying to figure it out, but every day at the end, they were on fresh grass and they became very friendly. They definitely uh, got to be more friendly with me to the point where now I can go out there even in the winter. We don't do any winter grazing yet. We're not ready for it. Uh, but they like to see me now. They'll come up. The calves don't yet, but hopefully we'll, we'll get them there. Greg, uh, any parting advice? Uh, you look back on your life and um, you've been the new farmer who dived into the old school methods, uh, found himself, you know, uh, at a point where you almost couldn't get out of, right, right about being bankrupt, to now you're running a very successful uh, farm business. You own a couple different farms. Uh, any parting advice for someone who's more in my position now, maybe just getting started, whether it's a homesteader or someone trying to get into this for business, uh, something that they could think about over this next year as they get on this track? Yes. Um, number one, invest your money in something that eats grass. Ruminant. Don't jump into pigs or chickens. I mean, you can have a few to eat and raise for your family or some of your friends, but I wouldn't ramp that part of it up. If you're owning land or if you have control of land, I'm sorry, but a pig doesn't have four stomachs like a cow does or a sheep. You know, these, these animals can make it 100% on four each. Austin, our, our biggest unfair advantage on this whole regenerative thing is we have animals that can produce meat from sunlight. We're capturing sunlight on the leaves of the plants and they're converting it to a very healthy protein for our families and our communities and our friends. So stay focused on ruminant animals starting out. If you want to bring in pigs and chickens, that's great, but start out with a ruminant animal. They're going to pay the bills and don't go out and get in debt buying a bunch of metal. Stay away from metal purchases as much as possible. I didn't have a four-year when I started. I had a backpack. I put it on my back. That's how I packed my mineral and my salt up to my animals. I packed it out. I didn't have a four-wheeler. I do now, and I'm glad I've got it. But starting out, you don't need anything. The cows don't ask you to buy all this stuff. We all think we need to have it, though. You know, so be willing to work hard, have passion, read as much as you can. Um, 
associate with other people that are doing a better job than what you are. Find that person and go work for them. If you're young, you're not settled down, or even if you settle down and you want to really make a go of this, find somebody to do an internship with. But before you do an internship with them, make sure when you go onto that farm, you're going to get the experience that you need. In other words, you're not just going to be a, a grunt out there in the mud, you know, messing with animals. You're going to learn. You're going to learn how to, to do this regenerative ranching. And then you can take that skill level with you for the rest of your life. You know what opportunities are out there, Austin? It is unbelievable. I did one video for, with Casey, our intern right now. Uh, he's had probably 15 farmers from all over the world call him, beg him for his services now. And he's only been, you know, we, we do internships here for one year. And we will find you a really good job if you're good. If you're not good, I'm not going to recommend you. But if you're good and you put your heart into it, oh my gosh, it's really, I get cold chills thinking if I was 20 years old, I'd be jumping all over it. I mean, there's no other profession in the world that you can get in today that's going to further you down the road like regenerative, regenerative ranching is. Because Plain ag today, this, this common ag that we see is fossil fuel dependent. We're destroying our water cycle. We, we've destroyed the soil and with rigidity, we're building humus. We're capturing the water, we're holding it on our land. We've got microbes now, we've got healthy animals, healthy soils, healthy plants. It's exciting. I mean, every morning I wake up, I'm just gaw-gawed and I get to live and do this. You know, I'm serious. This is my retirement plan. People go, what are you going to do when you retire? Retire my butt. I'm not retiring. <laughs> this is what I want to do until I'm dead. I'm serious. Every day, it's wonderful. Go for it. <laughs> hey, podcast listeners. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you'd like to hear the uncut version of this show, it's actually twice as long. Greg goes into detail about why he hates swales. I am a terrible advocate for swales. <laughs> so I've wasted a lot of money. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I better stop. I'm sorry. Let's talk about something positive. He also goes into greater detail about the equipment that he uses and how to design your rotational grazing. There's a video version in the Pioneer Library of this entire interview. I actually draw the design Greg talks about so you can see that kind of come to life. This extended interview, as well as all our extended episodes, you can download all four previous years, extended editions, and exclusive episodes with just one click. There's a zipped folder on the website. Once you become a pioneer, you click that button, instantly down all these extended versions to your phone. That way you can enjoy listening to them while you drive or watch the video versions while you're at home sitting on the couch, taking notes, getting ready for your big homesteading year coming in 2020. There's a link in the description of this podcast. It will take you over to our website where you can become a pioneer or just go to thisishomesteady.com, click on shop and then pioneers. You can become a pioneer and gain access to all our exclusive pioneers only content. And you can join us for these shows live, ask questions of our guest. There were guests here on this show live that got to ask Greg questions personally. It's a really awesome thing you can do. If you're interested in becoming a pioneer, this is homestudy.com.